Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Grace. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and it's so uh, so good to have you with us. If you're you're new, um, I would love to meet you after the service, if if possible. Um, over the last few weeks, we have been walking through the the letter of Paul to the Galatians. So if you have a Bible with you, you can open to Galatians chapter 2. If you don't have one, there is one in the seat in front of you right underneath. There's a Bible there for you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one as as a gift from us. We believe that everybody should have their own physical copy of a Bible um, maybe this is just a personal preference, but I believe there's something different that happens when you read a physical Bible than when you look at it on your phone or on a screen, but maybe that's just, that's just me. Um, but I, I think uh, I would love for you to have that one if you don't have one. Uh, last week we heard from Pastor Rich about unity in the gospel, unity in the gospel, and he mentioned in that message that we all need to be unified in the mission of of Grace Church, that we all need to be unified in moving forward with the mission that God has for us here. And so actually starting next week, we're going to take a break from, uh, from Galatians. We're going to put a pause, and we're going to come back in in a few weeks. But we're going we're gonna to look at what is the mission of Grace, which is to make more and better followers of of Christ, and the way we talk about accomplishing that, of doing that, is to pursue God and help others. You know, pursue God and bring others along with you. And so we we want to we want to help you with that. And so we're going to have a series over the next few weeks where we're we're going to look at the mission and really how to fuel that mission, what it what it means for us as a church to fuel that mission of making more and better followers. So I, I want to invite you to to be a part of. Of that series, but also to be a part of the mission here in in the the north towns of of Buffalo as we pursue to make more and better followers of of Christ. All right, would you stand with me and as we uh, we read the scripture for this morning? Galatians chapter two, starting in verse eleven. But when Cephas came. To Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. 
For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For, though, uh, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live in the flesh. My life I live in the flesh, I live by the Spirit. Nope. By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. God, I thank you so much for your word, for your goodness to us, for your grace, for your mercy. I pray that you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, in chapter 2 of Galatians, we have two, uh, two visits between Paul and Peter. Here it says, Cephas, is, this is Peter. Um, there, there are two visits here in chapter 2 that are very, uh, very meaningful. Ultimately, they, they solidify the unity uh, between the two apostles, really all of the apostles around the gospel that Paul was preaching. He, the, the, this gospel that he was preaching and really the gospel that he's going to unpack for the remainder of this, this letter. Last week we saw that 14 years after Paul's conversion, he went to Jerusalem to clarify with the other apostles what his message was and to make sure that everybody was in unity about this being the, the gospel. All of the apostles uh, agreed that this was the true gospel. And then Paul moves forward to an unspecified time in the future of another visit, this time when Peter came to Antioch to visit Paul and Barnabas and see what was happening there. Paul says this time it wasn't quite so, so pleasant, it wasn't quite so easy. In fact, he said that this time there was conflict. He said, when, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood he stood condemned. Paul openly rebuked Peter for, for his actions. He openly rebuked him for his actions, actions because he stood condemned. So the next, for the next few minutes, uh, we're going we're gonna to look at three things in this interaction. We're going to look at three things. First, Peter's actions. The, the second thing is the reason for Paul's concern. And then the third thing is Paul's address. We'll look at Paul's address Itself. Well, the first is Peter's actions. Verse 12 says that before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. This was, this was, was what, what Peter had done right here. This is what he did that, that made him stand condemned, made him stand condemned. So what is this? What does this even, even mean, really, that he pulled back from eating with these people? Because that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. See, in this, the Jewish culture, they had purity laws regarding food. In Leviticus, you can see a list of foods that were clean and unclean, things that they could and could not eat. There were a lot of things that were unclean and therefore forbidden. They were not allowed to eat them. So good Jewish people would not eat these things. And on top of that... You had to be careful with whom you ate because 
if they did not follow the same purity laws regarding the foods that they ate, you could become unclean or eat something unclean by, by eating something that was theirs. They could contaminate your food. You could, be, you could eat something that's unclean. So what they did was they took this law that was, hey, these are unclean things, don't eat these, and they, they, they made it something a little bit more intense of, well, we're not going to eat with people who do eat of these things so that we don't get contaminated ourselves. And so that's, that's what... What was happening in, in this, this mindset of the purity laws here with regarding foods? See, the, the, the problem with this, the problem with this whole thing is that Peter himself in, in Acts chapter 10 and 11, he himself declared that God had showed him in a revelation that this was no longer necessary. Right In Acts chapter 10, we see that, that Peter had a vision where a blanket was coming down and on it was all manner of foods that were unclean. And God said, take and eat. And he was like, no, I can't do that. And God said, don't say these things that I have said are clean or unclean. All things are clean. Take them and eat them. And then he, he declares this moving forward. And so after that, after that, Peter had begun eating with, with Gentiles and eating those things that were unclean unclean. And so he had completely changed this whole thing, completely moved away from these purity laws regarding foods. And then when he got to Antioch, he was obviously eating with most of his meals were, were eaten with Gentiles because it was mostly a Gentile area. It was not a, a Jewish area. It was a mostly Gentile. So he was eating most of his meals with Gentiles. Then this group from James came in, not that James believed what they were, were preaching or teaching, but they were, they were from him, some of his, maybe some of his lieutenants who were a little zealous and they didn't quite grasp that, that all things were, were equal, that this was a new, a new situation, a new set of things because of Jesus. And they came in preaching, nope, 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 you can't do that. And so Peter, in fear of what they might do or what they might say, he pulled back from eating with the, the Gentiles. And then this caused other Jewish people who were eating with the Gentiles to pull back and withdraw as well. That might not seem like a big deal to us. You were eating with them, now you're not. It's really not that big of a deal. But Paul saw this as a huge problem. He saw this as something that was really, really significant. Because this, actually, this issue has deeper, deeper roots than, than what it appears at first. It's something that is, that is much, much bigger and has, has some serious implications to it. Then in them, we see Paul's, uh, the reason for Paul's concern. The reason for Paul's concern in this was that on, on top of possibly eating uh, eating something that was of uh, a, a, a Gentiles that was unclean that would make you unclean. Eating with somebody was a symbol of acceptance and and, and affirmation and welcome. That's why everybody, all the Pharisees, had a problem with with Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. Is because we don't want to affirm their lifestyle. We don't want to accept them. We don't want them to feel that we are okay with where they are with what they're doing. And, and so part of this was, 
the, the Jewish mindset of we don't want to affirm their, their lifestyle. We don't want to affirm what they are because they are not clean. They are not, they are not righteous. They are not God's people. We want to stay away from them so that we do not show that we, uh, we affirm their, their lifestyle. So with this, with this action of, of Peter... What he was doing was sending a message to the Gentiles whom he was eating with. He sent a message to them saying that you are not accepted, you are not clean, and you are not acceptable to God unless you live into the laws that we good Jewish people abide by. So what he was saying was that you had to follow the same rules and the same rituals and the same customs that we follow in order to be acceptable and accepted by by God. What this was really saying to the Gentile believers was that the gospel is Jesus plus Jewish laws. That's what this was really saying, and that is why Paul was so concerned with this. That is why he was so concerned with this, because, because Peter was distorting the gospel with his actions. And so Paul asked him, he said, if you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? What he's saying is, is you agree with, with, with me that the, that the gospel is saying, is saying that it is, it, it is Jesus plus, plus nothing, that, that the, the, the laws of, of the Jewish customs don't affect your, your, uh, your salvation, that all that you can do is put your faith in Jesus. That is all that is required for salvation. If you believe that, then you are no longer living like the Jews. You are no longer living in their customs. It is not about your actions. It is not about you living by these rules. If you are that, you're living like a Gentile. So how in the world are you telling them that they have to live like the Jews? In other words, in, in other words, if you believe that those laws won't save you, why are you telling them that those laws will save them? That's what, that's what Paul is, is so concerned about. That is what he's so, he's so frustrated about with Peter's actions was you are telling them that what they need are the laws to be saved, and that's not true. This, this action of, uh, of Peter, was, was, it changed the, the order of salvation, right? There's, there's a, a three-step process in, in salvation that, that I think everybody agrees with. There's a three-step process in, in salvation that, uh, that, that the gospel that Paul preached was, you believe, you are saved, and then you obey, right? You, you believe, you're saved, and then you obey, but this gospel that, that Peter was preaching with his actions, that the, the Judaizers that were, were preaching, the, the very gospel that Paul was writing to, to come against, to combat here, was that you, you believe, and then you obey, and then you're saved. And this is exactly what, Paul, what Peter was saying, is you believe, you obey, and then you can be Saved. And this is such a small difference in wording that it doesn't even seem worth noting, right? I mean, it seems like such a small, small difference in wording. 
It really does. I mean, this is, it's the same words. They should be kind of, kind of interchangeable at some level, but, but the reality is it was, it, it was such a, a big, 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 big difference. See, I, I think most people, most people who believe in Jesus, most people who, who, who believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, most people who believe that he, he rose again from the dead, most people who are, are in church on most Sundays still at some level believe that the gospel is you believe, you obey, and then you're saved. We might not say those words, but we definitely live them out in our actions. You believe, you obey, and then you'll be saved. And Paul was telling Peter, hey, you're asking them to believe a completely different gospel. You're asking them to believe a completely different gospel. See, we don't, we, we, we don't live with these same purity laws that they did. We don't, we don't have those same things that they did in regards to, to what, we, what we eat like they did. It seems silly to, to most of us, but we do have these rules that we believe that we have to follow in order to earn a right standing with God, right? We have these rules that we have to follow in, in order to have a, a right standing with God, you have to, to read this much scripture. You have to pray this much. You have to attend church this much. You have to serve this much. You have to give this much. You have to know this many verses. You have to do this many things. You have, to, you have all of these things. Well, I can't watch that, and I can't listen to that, and I can't go there, and I can't go there, and I can't be around these people, and I can't believe that thing, and I can't do all of these things. And we have all of these rules that we have to follow in order to earn a right standing with God. Right? Now, we probably wouldn't put those words to it, but our actions definitely say it. If you don't believe me, how often, how often, be honest with yourself because you're not answering to anybody but yourself, how often do you get so ashamed of your actions feeling as though God can't possibly love you? How often do you feel like, ah, oh, I really need to read more scripture? Not in a, I want to read more scripture, but in a, oh, I'm not doing enough. We believe this at some level that it is believe, obey, and then, then we can be saved. See, these things, while I believe that it is important and commanded that we read our Bible, I believe that it is important and commanded that we pray. I believe that it is important and commanded that we attend church as a collective body in one place. I believe that it is important and commanded to give to the, the local church, both financially and in service. I believe that all of these are important and, and commanded by God in scriptures, but none of these, none of these are added to the gospel to earn your salvation or put you in a better place 
to be loved and justified by God. It's not how this works. All of these, all of these are for you not to earn favor from God, but for you to love him more. That is what all of these are for. That is why we do them, is not for you to change your position in him, but to change your view of him. But we have made these rules and these regulations the thing that is going to help save us. The reason we talk about the gospel pretty much every Sunday here at Grace is because it is such an important topic, it's such an important doctrine, it's such an important thing that we understand, it's such an important thing that we have to understand. We preach this so much because we desperately want you to know that it's not, it is not a matter of believe, obey, and then you're saved. But simply you believe, you're saved. Now you obey. Because ultimately, ultimately the, the difference here, the difference here between these two is the Savior, the, the, the ultimate difference here is the Savior. There are two different saviors in these approaches to salvation. See, if we have to obey before we can be saved, then as Paul said, Jesus is, he died for, for no purpose. If we are our, our Savior, if we look to our actions, if we look to our ability to be a good person, our ability to resist sin, if we look to ourselves as our own Savior, that is the reason the gospel is such a big deal because when we lean on our own understanding, our own abilities, our own performance, what we are doing is telling God, I know you're great, but I got this. We're telling God, I know you're loving, but I still know that I have to earn your love. Paul said, in, in, in rebuilding what you tore down, you prove yourself to be a transgressor. What that means is if you go back to living out of obligation to the rules and the rituals as your means of salvation, you will see that you are no savior. If you go back to the, the, the rule that is you are your savior by abiding by these rules, by living up to these laws and up to these standards, you will realize quickly that you are not a savior. You are not good enough. I know that's hard to hear. Most of you have been told your whole life that you're special and you're wonderful and you're good enough. I'm here to tell you, you are not good enough to save yourself. But thankfully, thankfully, Jesus brought in a new way to salvation. He brought in a, a, a new way, and it's not by our efforts, it's not by our abilities, it's not by our goodness. It is simply by his grace 
through our faith. We put our faith in his grace. That is all that it is. Peter was, was preaching a different gospel through his actions. Like I said, believe, obey, and then you can be saved. Or as we have been talking about it in this, this series so far in Galatians, it was Jesus plus the law equals salvation. And this is no gospel at all. And so Paul begins to address this, this gospel he explains for the, the remainder of this chapter, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? And so in this, we see Paul's address. Paul's address. In the, the John Hayden translation, what he says is, Peter, come on, man. You know that we are not justified by living that way. We're not justified by living that way, but by, but, but by grace through faith. And then Paul, Paul lays out over the next six verses, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? First, we see that the gospel is that you have to be justified by faith. We are justified by faith. Justified is a key word in, in the letter of Galatians. It's used four times in these two verses, verse 16 and 17. It's a key theme, not only in Galatians, but actually in all of the Christian life. Justification is a huge deal. John Calvin said that justification is the hinge upon which everything turns. Martin Luther said that justification was the principal article of all Christian doctrine wherein the knowledge of all godliness consists. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. That's why I talk about the gospel so much. I'm trying to beat it into your heads continually. This term justification is deeply important to our Christian life. It is so important that we need to understand what this really is. So what is justification? What is justification? One of my favorite definitions is from David Platt. He defined it as justification is the gracious act of God by which God declares a sinner righteous solely through faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to break this down. I want to break this, this down a, a little bit to get a fuller picture of justification. It is a gracious act of God. It is an act of grace, something that we do not deserve, something that we have not and cannot earn. Nothing warrants, nothing merits, nothing initiates, nothing causes God to save us apart from his great love. It is simply an act of grace brought about by his love. We, we have to understand that this is not our actions or our efforts or our abilities that save us. It is him and his grace. Not only is it a gracious act of God, but it is a declaration. 
It is a, a declaration. He declares a verdict over us. This, this verb justified is a, a legal term, meaning to be declared righteous or declared innocent. It's the image of a judge looking at the evidence and declaring that the defendant is innocent or not guilty. So the gracious act of God is to declare that we are innocent. But it goes further. It's deeper. It's better. It's bigger than that because he, this declaration is made over sinners. This declaration of innocence is made over sinners. We are lost sinners apart from the grace of God. Paul said that if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, what, what this means is that that we realize we're sinners. We, we realize that we are guilty. We, we are in rebellion against God. Before we can be justified by grace, we have to realize and be found guilty. And Paul declares that we are guilty but before God, but the, the, the great part, the next part, this, this act of grace is that even though we are guilty, we are declared guilty righteous or innocent. Even though we are, we are guilty, we are declared innocent. God looks at us and declares that those of us who are in Christ, though guilty of all the sins that we've ever committed, we are innocent. We are freed from any punishment or judgment that may come against those sins that we have committed. Not that God sweeps them under a rug or simply ignores them, but that he has already executed judgment against those things. The punishment for my sins has already been dealt The consequences for my, my sins have already been executed against someone, and therefore, there's no record of my sin. In Colossians, Paul says that, that in you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He declared you innocent because Jesus took the punishment for you, and in doing so, he took away the record of your sin. That's a big deal. And the final part of this definition is that it is solely through faith in Jesus Christ. It is, it is only through faith in him and his finished work that we can be justified. There are, are no actions. There is simply faith. Faith that, that he has done it all. There are, no, there are no works. There is just belief. There are no amount of prayers. There's no amount of knowledge. There is simply faith. In him, only Christ 
can save you. And this is, this is what Paul wanted to drive home at this beginning of this. When he is now moving into chapter 3, he is beginning to drive home the, the doctrine of the gospel. And we'll see that um, as we, we look to Gen- uh, Galatians 3 and 4 is the, the doctrines in the gospel. But he wanted to drive home here at, before he gets into that is, is that, that we cannot, we cannot preach a gospel that requires people to do anything or, be, or, or lean into any tradition or any ritual. We cannot preach Jesus plus anything. Our gospel can only be that we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. No action can save us. Only faith in his finished work. Then here is the second part of Paul's address. The second part of Paul's address first is that we are justified through faith, and now we are to live through faith. We are to live through faith. He goes on to say in in verses 19 and 20 that we died to the law so that we might live to God, that I've been crucified with, with Christ. See, this old sinful self isn't still on us and ignored. It, is, it, it has been killed with Christ. It has been crucified with, with Christ. Upon our justification, our old self is is dead. The demands that come along with this old self are, are dead. They have been crucified. We are no longer bound by the rule and the power of sin because we have been crucified with Christ. Now, this is confusing. I get that because we still have sinful desires, right? Unless you're better than me more righteous than me, you still have sinful desires, right? You still sin. You still have things in your heart and in your mind and in your actions that pull us away from God. So if we're free from that, if we are no longer bound by that, then why do we still do this? What we have to realize is there is a difference in position and practice. There's a difference in position and practice, We are in the position of righteousness, but we have to work at the practice of righteousness. The practice does not affect your salvation getting into heaven. It does not affect whether or not you are going to face the condemnation and the punishment for your sins at the eternal judgment seat, but they do affect how you live out the righteousness in this life. The way we work toward the practice of righteousness is different than we think it is. We are not working to earn that place or that practice of righteousness. We are, we are working from righteousness. We are given the position of righteousness, and it is from this position of righteousness that we work toward the practice of righteousness. Paul says in, in Romans 13 that we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We put on Christ. 
We look to him for help and for strength. So the gospel is not is not simply that we can get to heaven one day, but that there is help now in this life to live the life of obedience or the life of the practice of righteousness. So the gospel is that that we are given help now in our weakness and in our insufficiency We, in faith, look to him and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're wanting to know what that looks like, Ephesians chapter 6, actually, Paul breaks down what it looks like to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In in Ephesians chapter 6, he he lists off the armor of God so that you're able to to withstand. You're ready to battle the enemy. You're ready to, to not give in to temptation. You're ready to not stumble and not fall. He says, put on the armor of God. Every piece of the armor is another aspect of Jesus Christ that we are putting on. He tells us how to put on this, put on Jesus Christ to live this life in obedience and victory. The life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God. Paul goes on to say that it's not me, but Christ who lives in me. Paul goes back, or he comes back later on in this letter to address this, this beautiful principle here that, that, uh, that, that it, isn't simply, <coughs> it isn't simply to get into the family. The gospel isn't simply to get into the family of God, and then we go back to our obedience to stay in the family of God. We are brought into the family of God by his work, and we remain in the family of God by his work. We remain in the righteousness of God by his work. We practice the righteousness of God by his work and his ability. He works in us to enable us to obey. We begin by faith and then continue by faith. We continue to put our faith in him. The reason the gospel is good news is that it is all about Jesus from the moment we are justified until the moment we see Jesus face to face. It is all about him. It is all about his finished work, his sinless life, if you want to know what I mean when I say his finished work, his sinless life that met all the requirements of the law that made him a a sufficient sacrifice, his death on the cross that I deserve to pay the debt that I owe as the sacrifice for my sins, his resurrection to defeat death, to give me new life, and then his ascension to the right hand of the Father where he is always praying for me. Because of that finished work, I can know God and live a life with him all because of him. That's the whole point of of Paul's address here. Don't fall back into the mindset that you have to or that you can do anything to earn your salvation or to help your salvation or to keep your salvation. It is only him because he has done everything that you need. All that there is for you is faith. All that there is for you is faith. 
Do you believe this morning? Do you have faith this morning? Have you put your faith in him or are you still trusting in yourself? Are you still working as your savior? Are you still trying to abide by these rules, live by these laws, live up to these rituals, do all of these things? Or have you put your faith in him, that he is the only means to your salvation, that his grace is the only thing that can save you? Those of us who have put our faith in him, trusting that he is the only thing that has saved you, have you gone back to your abilities and your efforts and your works to remain in him? Have you looked to your safe, yourself to sustain you? Have you looked to your ability to, to earn something from God, to appease God, to make him happy, to make him love you, to make him bless you? That only leads to failure and burnout. The only thing that can sustain us is him. The only way we can live this life is through him. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Live through him. Live in him. Let him live through you. It's this weird interaction of we are in him and he is in us. Have you put your faith in him? If not, will you this morning? Will you stop striving and trying and working to earn something, working to prove something, working to be something? Stop feeling like you have to clean yourself up enough for him to love you. Believe that he has died on a cross for your sins and you will be saved. Stop trying to prove that you are worth his sacrifice. Believe that he is in you, working through you. I promise you this is a different life altogether. This is a different life altogether. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for your goodness to us. Pray that you would help us, God, to see, to see your grace for what it is, your love for what it is, your gospel for what it is. Help us to put our faith in you, our trust in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.